0: We introduced our uh, SHIFT series last week uh, on Labor Day weekend. Our attendance was down a bit, but you can catch up quickly today. We'll be in this series for the most of the fall. SHIFT was a theme at Chick, which is the every three-year youth conference that the Covenant does, and uh, nearly 40 of us from Naperville Covenant between students and uh, adult staff were at Chick this summer, and several of you helped get us there with fundraising efforts and your prayers and encouragement. Uh, Chickas, about 5,500 people were at uh, UT. And this theme was a wonderful theme there because the idea of shift, of, uh, of kind of making, what are the small but significant changes that we can make? What are the little adjustments that we might need to make in our lives as followers of Christ to get closer to Him and be more like Him? In the run-up to Chick, Tim Siccone, who is a director of youth ministries for the Covenant, along with a team of people, developed this follow-up curriculum. Uh, only for the first time, it wasn't a follow-up curriculum just for the youth that had been to Chick, but for the whole church. Uh, and the emphasis really comes out of the, the department or the f- emphasis where Tim is on a team uh, where, which is called Make and Deepen Disciples. Make and Deepen Disciples. That's what we're about in the Covenant. That's what we're about here. And so this, uh, this uh, curriculum is intended to help with that. What are the shifts that we can make? Um, so these are the the six themes we're doing two weeks on each one we're right in the middle of the first one which is shifting our relationship with god Uh, next week we will look at next two weeks shifting our relationship with people and then two weeks on shifting our idea of how god can use us and then the fourth one shifting our ability to see pain that's seeing the pain in the world and responses of justice the fifth one is shifting our perspective on the world and then finally What can we do to be shifting into action? And that'll take us right up to uh, just before Thanksgiving and the holidays. We've said this, that the journey of discipleship, and it really is a journey of learning to be more like Christ and growing deeper in Him, the journey of discipleship moves us in the direction of becoming more like Jesus. And so we're asking this question, then, what shifts are needed? What shifts are needed in our perspectives on God, our perspectives on ourselves, our perspectives on on others around us, our perspective on the world? What what shifts are needed to help us on our way in this journey of discipleship? Or as we're saying here, we are shifting our perspective to be more like Jesus. Last week we began, uh, we were also in John 15 with the vine and the branches, and I'm grateful for our, our new table spread here. Thank you, Megan, for doing that. There's a bunch of grapes there to symbolize that vine, the fruitfulness to which we're called, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Last week we talked about making an incarnational shift, shifting to, into that relationship with Christ who is the living God. We talked about making the pruning shift and see that it was really identifying with the God who identifies with us. And we talked about even a sacramental shift at the communion table of truly a participation uh, with Christ, not just participating in a symbol. But today we're going to talk about a few more shifts in our perceptions of God, uh, to make uh, of shifts to make in our relationship. I mentioned Stephen Ministry in my announcements, and Thursday night we met. We meet once a month with uh, all of the Stephen Ministers and the leadership team and Pastor Diana and me, and we kind of check in with each other how it's going. We don't share the details of who meets with who, but we try to encourage each other there, and if um, somebody's struggling in a relationship with their care receiver, we try to coach them through that, and we do some continuing education there, too, to keep our Stephen Ministers equipped with know-how on how to care for certain situations. The continuing ed unit that we dealt with on Thursday night that Melissa knew led for us was about um, healing from different kinds of forms of abuse, of domestic violence and and abuse. And as we talked about these different things, we realized how these experiences of abuse affect us and how uh, particularly they affect our perceptions of God particularly if some kind of abuse or neglect has been suffered as a child and that's come from a parent, that it can affect one and, and, and shape one's perception of God. You know that thing that whatever we grow up with with children, whether our family was healthy or not, whatever we grow up with, we think is normal. Remember that point in your life, those of you who are a little bit older? Maybe you're even as old as Emily Burke's parents, but anyway, um, or me. But you know that moment in life when you realize, oh, my, my experience is not was not normal or wasn't like these other people that I know and we grow up with what we think is normal and when that has been a negative perspective it's been a dysfunctional setting or abuse has been there sometimes it shapes the the way we look at the world and it also shapes and can affect our view of God we've grown up under the if we've grown up in a home where has been harsh and demanding, we may see God as harsh and demanding. If we've grown up in an environment where we feel like all of our, our movements are, are controlled, then we may feel that God is that kind of a controlling God that won't let us have any kind of fun or, or, or do what we want to do. If we've grown up in a home that has been affected by alcohol or other addictions and, and the behavior of parents has been unpredictable and capricious, we may think that God is unpredictable and capricious, that he likes me this week, but next week he might be mad at me and take something away. We might grow up with an unhealthy fear of God if we've had that kind of a harsh and demanding environment. Or perhaps we grew up in a home where our parents weren't so bad, but actually as we reflect back on it, and sometimes this has happened in my own reflections on my father. My father was a wonderful person. I loved him dearly, but I know there was times that he was, he was passive and, and seemed just a bit und- indifferent, and, and perhaps there wasn't quite the emotional attachment that I needed. And so my perception of my dad, who I still loved very deeply and dearly and, and was kind to us and never hurt us, and yet sometimes I think there's an emotional detachment that we can do as parents, and that can affect our view of God too, that we're not aware of his presence and we don't really, we have a harder time kind of connecting in a relationship of intimacy with God. Or perhaps we've had parents who are, um, or maybe the generation now will experience this, where it was the the hovering, the helicopter parenting, the constantly serving, child-focused, centered of and spoiling routine that is the extreme in some homes. And so then we tend to demand more of God and we expect God to be one to provide everything that we need and want and think that we deserve and that we're always, no matter how we behave, we'll always get a smiley face sticker on our paper. No matter how poorly we behave on the soccer field, somebody's going to tell us, you did a great job. And we might expect that from God too. And, and so we get these different skewed perceptions of God. These are the things we might expect from Him. These aren't the things that we want from God. They might be the things that we fear from God. And all of them affect our perception of God. Now, I'm not into blaming the parents here. This isn't blaming the parents. If you are a parent, you know one of the most liberating phrases I heard years ago was nobody bats a thousand in parenting, right? Not in baseball or in parenting. A lot of us and a lot of parents did the absolute best with what they had, and we do the best with what we can ha- do, but we fall short. And that's why we need the Word. That's one of the reasons that we need this living relationship with the living God, because no matter how wonderful family is, no matter how perfect a parent is, all of us fall short. And we need this intimate and deeper connection with Christ, with God through Christ and the living Word. We need a living relationship with the living God. And so in order to shift our perspectives Perceptions, excuse me, in order to shift our perceptions closer to the reality of who God is, how he relates to us, and what he calls us to do, and how we live. We need to spend this time with him. Our own perceptions of God and our self-focused desires inform our view of God. We need something else to inform our view of God. We need this story, the vine and the branches and the fruitfulness of God to inform our relationship with God. So that's where we're headed today. That's a long intro, but think of that image of what shapes our view of God and what we want to shape our view and our perceptions of God. And so today, with the vine and the branches informing our relationship with God, we ask, what shifts can take us to a deeper place not only that provides a safety and security in God, but also is one that empowers us towards meaningful and life-giving action. We need a relationship with God, not just to feel safe and secure for our life now and a future reality of life with him forever, but we need something that will give us a, a, a sense of meaning and purpose now of life-giving action. What shift do we need to make to get closer to that? There is here in this part of the Vine and Branches passage, first of all, what I call an invitation to mutual indwelling. Christ in God, God in Christ, and us in Christ as well. This is what I call the intimacy shift. Shifting towards a deeper intimacy with God. An invitation to mutual indwelling. Secondly, we'll look at the provision of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. Pastor Diana mentioned the Spirit's indwelling as we transitioned earlier in the service. And this is what I call the, the trinity shift of an awareness of the fullness of God as we step into a deeper relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The intimacy shift. And thirdly, a call here in this passage to fruit bearing, to bearing fruit, and that is the obedience shift. If you love me, you will obey me, says Jesus. And my com- This is my command that you love one another. That's the obedience shift. So let's look at these three shifts, and we'll see how we do, okay? In this passage, Jesus calls his disciples, the 11 um, then, uh, Judas had left the table at this point, and us now as disciples, he calls us as disciples to remain in him. Older translations of scriptures use the word abide, to abide in me, or to live in me, to remain in me. In fact, he says, remain in me as I remain in you. Here's that mutual indwelling. You remain in me and I'll remain in you, says Jesus. It is a mutual indwelling. We are in each other. But especially in John's gospel, it is rooted in this deeper reality describing Jesus' relationship with God the Father. John gives us a lot of dialogue and a lot of teaching around this mutual indwelling of Father and Son. There's a unity of purpose. There's a unity of being as these two relate to each other. Jesus says his work is to do the work of the Father. His words are given to him by the Father. His whole purpose is to glorify the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. The Son does the works of the Father. To see the Son is to see the Father. Do you hear it there? This unity of purpose is rooted in a unity of being. It's indicated in this language or this reality of mutual indwelling in John 14:10 Jesus says believe in me believe me when i say that i am in the father and the father is in me a mutual indwelling and then in 10:30 earlier Jesus said i and the father are one a mutual indwelling And now take that and go with this image of the vine and the branches and that of remaining in me. Jesus is inviting us into that same mutual indwelling. He invites us into this relationship of unity shared between father and son. You know that phrase when we were little kids of two's company and three's a crowd. It's always hard sometimes to break in when two people have something good going and for the third person to break in. But Jesus says, we want you. The father and I want you to come and enjoy this same indwelling with us. If that analogy works for you, Jesus is inviting us into that same mutual indwelling. He invites us into this relationship of unity shared between Father and Son. And then finally, He says this in chapter 14, verse 30. He says, On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. (laughs) We're in this together. He invites us in this invitation of mutual indwelling to to be going all in, to be going all into a a deeper relationship of of an ultimate intimacy. An intimacy with God where we are safe, where we are included. But it's a life-giving one. We're truly who we are. I don't know about you, but there's, um, you know how there's certain sermons or, or talks you've heard over the years that you just, for some reason, you remember? Some images from certain talks just stick with you and others are quickly forgotten. Okay, who can remember my three points from last week? Well, I'd have to even look them up right now. How about two weeks ago? What's one of my most memorable sermons ever? Don't answer that, because you might not have one. It doesn't matter, really. But I know sometimes, every once in a while, some of you will come to me and go, I remember once when you preached a sermon on X, and you said this, you know? And so sometimes these things sort of rivet with us. I can remember certain sermons in the past that I have been privileged to not preach, but to hear. Megan and I still remember a talk that we heard, it wasn't a sermon, but it was a pastor's retreat almost 30 years ago. In fact, I think it was 29 years ago this fall, because I remember we were carrying a little six-month-old Lucas, who will turn 30 soon. And our speaker that week was Dr. Grace Ketterman. Some of you may know her name, you may not. She's a Christian child psychiatrist. She wrote books back in the, especially in the the 70s and 80s on child rearing. Uh, She's in Kansas City. I found out she's still practicing. She's in her late 80s now, but still practicing. But Dr. Ketterman, and she was part of the Hillcrest Covenant Church at the time, actually, in in Kansas City. Dr. Ketterman said that we have two basic fears. Two basic fears, abandonment and engulfment. (laughs) Abandonment and engulfment. Abandonment that uh, we will invest in a relationship and then be left behind. That we will be rejected. That the people that we think care for us most, we care for most, will, will be absent from our life. Issues of abandonment might have to do with those childhood fears or experiences of, of neglect or abuse, abandonment. But the other one is engulfment, and that is to be so consumed by another person that we also lose our identity, that our true self is somehow swallowed up or ignored or obliterated through the ultimate control or smothering of another person. We fear both things of being abandoned and being all alone or being engulfed and being swallowed up by another. And while they may be seem like, seem like polar opposites, they do have a common fear. They do have a common misunderstanding of intimacy. Intimacy, that of being close, of being truly one with another and yet truly who you are. Intimacy is difficult for humans. There are different definitions that we come with intimacy into a relationship. There are different needs that we haul into a relationship based on our background. Male and female tend to have different perspectives on on intimacy depending on which planet we come from, if you remember that old book. We get confused about intimacy. We hear of fears of intimacy and demands for intimacy. But God invites us us, to a deeper, more secure intimacy with him. I think that's what's happening here in this sense of, of going all in in this mutual indwelling. God invites us to a deeper, more secure intimacy with him where there is neither abandonment or engulfment. God does not abandon us nor totally consume us, but draws us in. God draws us into this mutual indwelling where life is lived as it's meant to be. Life as it is to be experienced and live, where we are safe and secure and have a meaningful sense of who we are with him. And when we become safe and secure and empowered in that relationship, then we develop a confidence to venture into human relationships and risk the intimacy. And it's always a risk because we are imperfect, aren't we? But the security of the intimacy comes from God first, and then we take the risk with others. This is what I call the intimacy shift here. What shift do we need to make in terms of our relationship with God, where we are fully ourselves and yet we are all in with him, of knowing him and being known by him? What needs to shift in us in our daily relationship with God to go deeper in, not just to an awareness of you, not just saying this is what I believe or this is how I express my faith, but to Be with Him in this intimate connection where we are neither abandoned or engulfed, but are fulfilled in our purpose of what God created us to be. It comes in this mutual indwelling that Jesus invites us into the intimacy shift. Secondly, there's the provision of the Holy Spirit's indwelling also, and this I call the Trinity shift. Now, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned in the Vine and Branches passage at all. He doesn't show up in John 15 until much later in the passage. But the Holy Spirit is all over these five chapters. When I say these five chapters, I mean John 13 through 17, which is all, those five chapters are that one night in the upper room. John gives us, some of you remember back from our study last year of John, but five chapters of John's 21 are that night in that room, and they are all Jesus' preparation of his disciples for his departure. But he constantly, interwoven through here, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. He He says, I'm leaving, but I won't leave you alone. I'm leaving, but you won't be alone. And he says he's departing, but that they can't do anything apart from him. And of course, the answer is in this promised gift of the Holy Spirit. The promised gift is that you will be working together with the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the Holy Spirit joins in this uh, MIT, this mutually indwelling team. The Holy Spirit jumps in too. So now, there, now there's three there plus us. This mutually indwelling team, Jesus is actually promising an even greater intimacy in, sending, in the sending of the Spirit. Now God will not only dwell among his people, but God will dwell within them. God will not only dwell among his people, but God will dwell within them through the Holy Spirit. And all through these chapters, Jesus explains the role of the Spirit. The Spirit will speak the Father's words. The Spirit will remind us what Jesus said. The Spirit will guide us in the truth. The Spirit will convict us sin. The Spirit will be an advocate, a comforter, the very presence of God. The Spirit will verify that we truly are in Christ. And on and on, all of these qualities of the Spirit. And yet it's so easy for us, especially as evangelicals, to forget the Holy Spirit. We sometimes talk so much about knowing Jesus, relationship with Jesus, Jesus saves that we might forget the role of the Spirit. Or we might come from an experience where there was a much more of a higher sense of worship and, 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 and more the, the transcendence of God the Father has experienced. And we, we sometimes forget the Holy Spirit. In fact, pastor, writer, speaker Francis Chan wrote a book about six years ago called Forgotten God reversing our tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. And some of what's happened then is that our our brothers and sisters of a a more charismatic Pentecostal faith have emphasized to a great degree the power of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit. But we need to get them all together, don't we? In our covenant affirmations, we have a a set of six affirmations that we say this is what we believe. We don't have a a, a statement of faith as covenanters, but we say we affirm these six things, and one of them is this. It says we affirm a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, shifting our relationship with the triune God then may be calling us to developing a conscious dependence. Conscience means I'm thinking about it, right? (laughs) Not just aware of it from time to time. A dependence on the Spirit, but also onto the fullness of who God is, as He envelops us and invites us, redeeming us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what I mean by a, a Trinity shift here. You know, sometimes we go to prayer or we get confused. And go, why don't who am I, who am I supposed to pray to? Do so I say dear God, dear Jesus? Seems weird to say dear Spirit. Are there rules? If I say Jesus' name, does that mean I should, should say to pray to God first? And if I don't say Jesus' name, did my prayer not work? I mean, sometimes we can kind of get caught up in the mechanics and, and the rules of it. The fact is, we are in relationship with the living God. And a trinity shift says, don't worry so much about the rules, but be aware of the fullness of God is as you enter in relationship with God. When you offer prayer, when you process something going on in your life, realize that God is the one who has created you and expresses his love in and through his creation. Realize that the Son is the one who has redeemed you and saved you and is the source of that grace that will get you out of that place of, of guilt and shame. And realize that the Spirit is the one that can empower you and remind you of things you've heard before and the one who can, can, can give you the, the, the power to move forward. And so I think a Trinity shift means just move into this this relationship, aware of the fullness of who God is. The word Trinity is not in Scripture, but it helps us understand the fullness of God. One God expressed to us in these three different ways is a Trinity shift for us that will take us, I think, to a deeper place and closer to the heart of God of understanding who we're doing, of who we're being, as well as what we're doing. And that leads us here finally to this third one of a, a call to fruit bearing that comes in this passage. And this is what I call the obedience shift. Back to the vine and the branches. Um, pretty simply, um, Jesus says, you are the, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And when you cut off a branch, it dies, right? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty simple. A- apart from the vine, in, in this context here, we are worthless and fruitless. And worse, we basically are dead if we are detached from the vine. We, we can do nothing apart. In fact, Jesus even says that apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. He doesn't say that we can do a little bit or that we're only, if the branch is broken and kind of hanging there, you can maybe do a little bit. He says you can do nothing. He doesn't say that we can do a little bit or he doesn't say that we won't be quite as effective as if we were connected to him. No, he says apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, this speaks of this empowerment of, of, of his strength, but it also speaks of purpose and value and obedience. So Obviously, there's a lot of stuff we can do on our own. We can, we can do a lot of life without being connected to Jesus. We can even do things that help other people. We can even express love to others without any kind of empowerment from Jesus. But I think what he's saying here is the stuff that we can't do without good is the really important stuff that God has for us to do. Does that make sense? <laughs> we can do a lot of stuff without him, But the stuff that we can't do without him is the really important stuff that without God is, well, you get it, right? (laughs) The things of value, the things that impact the kingdom, the things that will take us deeper into that connection with him, we cannot do if we're not in this vital union and relationship. And basically the word he says is you will not bear fruit. You will not be able to bear the fruit of this relationship. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command, love each other. Jesus makes it pretty simple here, really, the obedient shift, doesn't he? He says, I chose you, I appointed you to bear fruit, and you will bear fruit when you obey me, and let me tell you what all of the things are that you're supposed to obey. And we imagine this long, long list we could never keep up with. And Jesus says, let me summarize this. Here's what you do to obey me. Love each other. He summarizes it there, doesn't he? It's just like he summarizes the whole Ten Commandments in another place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and others as yourself. That's it. That summarizes the Ten Commandments. And here he says basically, this is how you bear fruit. This is the fruit that you bear. Of your love being expressed to one another and to to the world around you. It kind of comes down to this, of just simply our discipleship, our obedience shift, is not just keeping track of a list that we're obeying, but of acting in love. And so this this is the course of our life, is learning to love. That really is one of the primary tasks that we have as a follower of Jesus, is learning to love. It all comes down to this, or it all rises up to this, however you want to see that. Learning to love one another verifies that we are his disciples. Learning to love one another gives witness to the fact that we do know him. In verse 80 he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He describes a little bit in this passage what that might look like. It's going to have a little sacrificial side to it. You are my friends if you love one another. If you obey and you love one another, that's great. Oh, and by the way, here's a definition of friendship. Greater love has no one than this, than one lays down one's life for their friends. There's a sacrificial element of, of giving something away. There's a patience with one another. There's an investment in others. And I think we need to see this love each other, not just those who are sitting near us now or sitting near us at home or sitting near us at work. Certainly, it's an investment in loving relationships with those people. Our family, our friends, our coworkers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But I think this love each other expands to the far as well, the near and the far. Right now as a, as a church in the U.S. and even at the government levels, we are being challenged in our love for the refugee. Whatever we might think of immigrant policies here and around the world, Whatever we might think of the causes for a war in Syria or Iraq, whichever president of the U.S. we want to blame for the situation we're in, doesn't really matter, does it? People are being killed. People are being displaced. And what does that mean for us in terms of being obedient to Jesus? The obedience is not take them in. The obedience is love each other, and the loving each other might say take them in. <laughs> Advocate for policies that will help or simply make donations to the funds that are helping them settle them wherever they are in Western Europe or wherever it might be. Love each other takes place near in terms of our relationships with another, but it takes place far as well. Our hearts are getting more and more connected with the little boy or the little girl on our refrigerator door that we support in Congo. And when we pray for him, and we send her a letter. We are making a connection there that builds a relationship and follows through somewhat a little bit on this response, the shift of obedience to love each other. But it needs to go beyond that. This is our this is how we grow as disciples. This is the shift we need to make is love for each other. It must be both broad and with our view of the world and policies, and specific. What's one, two, three things I do this week with the people I know. And so I want to challenge us to let this command to love each other be both broad and specific. It's an act of obedience, an act of, of love. Which of these shifts sort of grabs you the most this morning? This intimacy shift of of, of, of connecting more deeply with who God is and feeling safe with him so that we might be more safe with other people? Is it the the trinity shift that's needed to to kind of embrace the fullness of who God is rather than just what we're used to doing or how we're used to thinking about God? Maybe we need to just expand that a little bit to think of God in the fullness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or is it this obedience shift of really playing out, really digging in, really prayerfully considering, how am I loving others now? Not just the easy and the warmth of family and close friends, but the places that will push me, the places that might cost me, the places that might demand a sacrifice. Which shift do you need to make? Pick one, and we'll take a moment to reflect on it here. And then that last one I've expanded on just a little bit with another question. How broad and how specific Will you take the command to love one another? What will it look like today? What will it look like in the next several years of your life? What will it look like now when you're working hard and developing a career? What will it look like when you pass that transition into a time of a little more discretionary time and yet a desire to still make a difference in the years of retirement? What will it look like? Let's just take a few moments to reflect on these shifts that God might be calling you to as we finish up. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this image of being connected to you like a vine and branches and bearing fruit like we see before us here. Lord, we know that there are shifts in our life in order to get to more of that fruitful kind of a place. And I ask that you would speak into each of our hearts of what, what shift is needed for us in terms of how we interact with you, how we perceive you how we serve you, how we love you, and how we love others. Lord, we want to do this. We don't want to just revel in ideas and beliefs. We want to go to that deeper place of intimacy with you and a life that is lived with purpose and meaning and direction and significance because it's lived in and through you. We commit these decisions and the way forward to you, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.